You're listening to the Inverse Podcast, where we explore how the scriptures can turn our world upside down. Or how it can be weaponized to uphold the status quo. I'm Drew Hart. And I'm Jared McKenna, and this is Inverse. I don't know if you find this a, a compliment, um, uh, but earlier today I was talking to my mate Nick Pope, who's um, listening in live now. Um, Nick's a meteorologist, a, a climate scientist, and um, I was trying to talk about um, uh, what I see you doing theologically in, in the process stream and how it maybe differs from other process stuff. Um, and my summary was like, you're really into Jesus. Like, um, uh, and uh, I'm not sure if you like this or, or not, but my take on the Cappadocians. I support who, Jesus. Yes. <laughs> um, my take on the Cappadocians is that they're not um, uh, simply re-articulating uh, Christianity in uh, Platonic or Neoplatonic thought. They're, they're seeking to um, take the incarnation seriously um, in that worldview in such ways that the worldview isn't like left the same or that imaginary is not left the same, but it, it's shot through with what we see in the life of Jesus. And my explanation to Mick in terms of um, where you're coming from, uh, not merely in a um, uh, like open or relational, but in terms of process was um, you're trying to take the incarnation so seriously um, in light of um, what we know of reality at the moment. And, mm-hmm. and, and um, uh, even as a Baptist, like you, you're actually quite, um, uh, if not creedal, confessional in, in your faith. Like, I mean, um, a process is not necessarily um, Christian and it's not necessarily that into the historical Jesus. But what you set up in the divine self-investment mm-hmm. um, um, is really serious about like um, the, the actual experience, the encounter, the existential mm-hmm. Um, the the historical Jesus, which um, I too in my teens um, w- was <laughs> reading, <laughs> Cross and Borg mm-hmm. um, and all about, which uh, happened by accident. A story for another time. Um, but also the metaphysical bit is like an ongoing conversation with h- how do we take um, the, the best of the sciences? And this is why Polkinghorne was so important to me in my twenties. Mm-hmm. Is that he wasn't scared of these conversations. What I see you doing with that, um, and why. Um, I, I'm so close to um, you leading me in a process prayer um, mm-hmm. is uh, like situating um, the, the liberation we see in Jesus um, that, that is thoroughly without coerce, coercion, but is a different kind of power um, in this um, opening where prayer becomes alive, where questions of um, uh, God again can look like what we see in the life of the Nazarene instead of um uh, it doesn't t- remove like the apophatic. There is still, um, we're still talking about awe and wonder and mystery at what we cannot articulate other than, so it kind of fits with Rowan mm-hmm. Williams in this really strange way, but is not found all the way over um, with, you know, a David Bentley heart. And Trip, you kind of move in this world where you bring those things together in ways that I find really um, enticing. Use the word lure early, which I, uh, earlier, which I know is important. But like um, this, um, the questions that usually come up for people to to kind of, I've pastored for years that I know um, you have as well. Um, 
a questions around um so where's this all going then like uh eschatology like um tell us like how can we be like if if this moment is truly open and uh how how i come to this moment and come to what um uh, the spirit is doing in this moment really opens up different possibilities that as these earbuds are in my ears, as I'm listening to this on a run or driving the kids to school or whatever it might be, how I respond in this moment opens up different possibilities that make prayer real, that that make mm-hmm. discipleship an adventure. Um, the way you talk about um, eschatology uh, is really incredible. Can you take us there, like in terms of... Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, okay, there are a few things that might help... Um, Okay, one is the uh, like you can basically do a pretty process interpretation of the Cappadocians. Mm. Um, uh, Will Wilmot, Wilmot, I think is the name of a guy that did it, and I can send you a PDF of it. It's really fascinating, and he's like clear, like here are the few places. As in the Methodist? No, no, no. That's Will Amon. This is. Oh, sorry. Uh, uh, he's a. Ortho, like a orthodox theologian okay that's cool. why I did. Um, yeah wow but uh i would say like the the connection if so it, you know some people get freaked out about process because it does metaphysics is in the science and things and they just aren't right so like when you google like process people are the biggest group of not fundamentalists that are into religion science stuff like mm. it's just uh, they're big in the u.s at least Right. And so the book um, is going through and engaging other types of mainline Protestant theologians who don't do metaphysics. They dodge it creatively. Mm -hmm. So like in the book, Catherine Tanner, Roger Haight, Mm -hmm. uh, like are the examples. And they're paired with a process thinker to demonstrate that you actually can do the kind of more progressive or liberal account of christology for and still actually talk about god being in christ in robust ways because process people always talk about god like it because you're doing metaphysics and god's in it right so to me that the book in some sense is going to uh is pairing theologians to demonstrate that with a process metaphysic you're able to recognize the reasons you didn't want to do metaphysics be it power problem of evil all that kind of stuff you get you can resist those and still talk about a real God doing real things in a real world. Um, after Immanuel Kant, there was this kind of an invitation to do theology where you just bracket and don't talk about all of the God stuff. So you focus on ethics and things, which are great. Like no one's against ethics. It's just that when you do theology and you can only talk about ethics, you sound more like a sociologist or a politician than a theologian or a minister. Um, and so process helped with that the um and the other thing is that whitehead contrasts the other pictures of god in the west with the image of jesus and so he thought that what he was developing cohered uh in a deep way with jesus um and so here at the end of process and reality it would be a dramatic reading um whitehead uh says this He said, when the Western world accepted Christianity, like, you know, after Constantine and such, Caesar conquered, and the received text of Western theology was edited by his lawyers. 
The brief vision of humility flickered through the ages, uncertainly. In the official formulation of religion, it has assumed the trivial form of the mere attribution to the Jews that they cherished a misconception about their Messiah, right? Like, mm. why didn't they, like, they blame the Jews for the fact that they don't want to take seriously the, the peasant cross dead Jesus. Like, well, they just didn't understand the Messiah was coming. Not that Caesar had edited theology, you know, you know what I mean? So, mm. uh, but the deeper idolatry of fashioning of the fashioning of God in the image of the Egyptian, Persian, and Roman imperial rulers was retained. The church gave unto God the attributes which exclusively belong to Caesar. And so for me, Whitehead said, um, you know, there are all these big images of ultimate reality, the king one, the or moral rule one, the ground of being. And he goes, and those fail for a lot of reasons, but they aren't the Galilean vision. And, and so he goes, what happens when that is what perfect ultimate reality looks like? Mm. It's different. And then it means that we've actually given to God. We've made God into a cross builder and not a cross bearer. And once Ooh. you've done that, you miss mm -hmm. the point. It's idolatry. And he said it. And now I'm reading this the year after 9-11 in my dorm room as wow. the church is justified, Islamophobia, invasion, and all that kind of stuff. Mm. And from, for me, the whole process of theological education, of becoming an adult, the first years as a minister, were this giant betrayal where you identify Jesus as Lord and say yes to imperial mm. power in a public and perverse way, cheerleaded by the church. Little mm. did I know that that was just going to trend set all the way to this moment, right? So just in the last two years, the ways in which the evangelical Christianity, that's the context of rural North Carolina where I was born, um, is said, I will remain ignorant on the history of white supremacy and insist that the only story me and my children are allowed to he hear is a whitewashed one where my, my mm. ancestors are perfect and my privilege is not acknowledged and protected and the violence of the state to the underside is, uh, is funded better. That's, mm -hmm. like, that's the word. Or we, we know now that in the last 30 years, we put more carbon in the, in the atmosphere that's than right. the 200 years prior to it. And white evangelical Christians are the dominant voting block for the one political party in the entire Western world that doesn't that's even right. acknowledge climate change. Yeah. Who is it that wants to protect guns and capital punishment and legislate about people's like? When you sit there, that embarrassment early on was about power and a war, and you kind of get it when this myth of perfection and innocence is broken after 9-11, and you see the struggle. But then the very next generation ratchets up the ugly. And at some point, I think, we cannot keep accommodating the story of Jesus to a set of metaphysical commitments that are fashioned after Persian, Egyptian, and Roman imperial world. That is how you end up with the inability to differentiate your allegiance to an executed, homeless, first-century Jew and the orange turd. Like, you, you don't know, like, it makes no sense.
And so to me, if we, if we as theologians um, don't take seriously that the, the actual lived out life of the church testifies that our image of God is so polluted and wrong and idolatrous that we can't figure out that God has not invested in coercive, top-down imperialistic power, right? Like Jesus says, um, you want to know where I am? I'm when you're in a group of people and you what? Tell the truth about your brokenness. You want to know where I am? I'm when you're at a meal and you remember the gift of the canonic savior. I know where I am. I'm whenever you show up in the situation of the crucified people, the least of these. That's where Jesus promises to be. And those are the very places that the Christianity that I came out of insist on not even, right, making the table a place of life. It insists that the community of relations, right, where you are honest, are ones you preserve naivete. Think of how many people had premarital sex and had purity rings on, and they all lied to their friends about it. And accountability, it just sets up for a world where you miss the point. And then you, you, you go, like, this is the part that drives me nuts. The other day I was talking to a friend of mine from back in the day. He, he volunteered with his friend church. He hadn't gone to church in a while. And they go down right for cleanup after the uh, uh, hurricane. And he's like, I'm sitting there with a bunch of, I refuse to mask. The election was stolen and white wow. supremacy is a myth. Christians helping them. And you're in a situation where if they just ask why the why was this neighborhood and not the next door neighborhood uh, built and protected mm-hmm. in ways that this side was destroyed, then like you would just have to recognize that the, that the story you're telling yourself is one that protects the violence of the underside. And he's like, it, it, so there's something about what's going on in their picture of the world that blinds them to the actual bodies that are being crucified by our systems of power. Mm-hmm. Even though if you look at their faith, they, there weren't a bunch of liberal mainline Protestants down there doing cleanup. No, they're at home watching Rachel Maddow trying to figure out what they're going to do when she's not on every night. So, but <laughs> so true. would you speak like, to that? Because uh, I know that I would just say um, that the, I would just say like they're occupied, the vision of God's occupied. The longer we accommodate, a shitty vision of divine perfection Mm. to the life and ministry, death and resurrection of Jesus, the longer our image of perfection is going to create these kind of problems. So um, yeah, go ahead. I was, that was all my setup to answer the eschatology question you asked five minutes ago, but you, you know, go ahead. (laughs) Don't forget the eschatology question. Dan, you you go, mate. Oh, thanks. (laughs) So good. I've been wanting to hop in, but when trips on fire, when, when the preacher's preaching, you just got to let them go. Um, but, but yeah, trip, I, I do want you to go into the eschatology, but one thing to keep in mind as you continue to answer and engage, uh, this community, because I've heard, uh, others, not just in this community, but, but friends of the inverse, uh, community ask, why do I need process? Why can't I just do this with the early church fathers? Why can't I do this with the tradition? So as you as you continue to to answer, you know, you know, eschatology questions or ecclesiology or whatever we, we get to, um, I, I'd like you to keep in mind and, and highlight those explicitly. 
Trip, yeah. can, can I add something else to keep in yeah. mind in your answer? I'm not sure if you saw, and um, I'm really looking forward to the Q&A time, but um, uh, my dear sister, Naomi, who is staying up all hours to be with us, it's past midnight for her and her part of the, the world, um, uh, she mentioned, like, as an Aboriginal woman, how um, difficult, um, uh, like, um, eschatology and particularly apocalyptic um, visions, um, not just in particular how they're used in horrific ways uh -huh. um but in general like um uh compared to um indigenous um imaginaries um for which um a, a vision of the healing of all things is more um and talking you know vast generalizations um more spatial um than it is temporal like it, it not time to uh, tied to time as it is to to mm -hmm. place um and that i mean uh, even in terms of like western political traditions like it's so central for like whether we're talking like uh, Walter Benjamin or um, Marx or Hegel or like um, so I I find where you go in terms of um, uh, your answer with process um, really incredible because it calls for an embodied response where it it says I hope so and I hear some people like process people go yeah, I hope so. And I'm like, yeah, I hope so. And they're like, yeah, hope so. And we're using the same words, uh, but one, <laughs> one is like, this is why I'm like, like um, risking arrest or organizing, or instead of pursuing my career, um, uh, like uh, serving um, those with their backs against the wall um, and others, like it's a, um, a despondent, um, uh, Christ, there's no hands and feet, but ours. And what they really mean is, no metaphysics, no hope, we better do something. And there's a lot of pressure on, like you felt bad about our ecological catastrophe beforehand. Wait until you find out that these are all metaphors. Oh, that's funny. Um, yeah, so the it, that tension, you know, in a more boring and nerdy way is, is what plays out in the book at trying to demonstrate that the concerns for kind of, you know, theologians that never get around to saying things about God because of deep commitments around like actual problems with uh, be it some of it science, some of it ethics, all sorts of reasons that, mm. um, or just what they think language can and can't do. Um, the book is trying to show that a, that a, you know, a process vision allows you to say uh, a lot more and gives uh, traction to a lot of the beautiful ways they engage the tradition. Um, so like in the Logos chapter, Catherine Tanner, um, one of my favorite theologians, does this beautiful connection of the Cappadocians and Luther and the nature mm. of divine participation and how the incarnation comes to reshape the nature of the human as uh, like all creation has a kind of weak participation in God because God is the source of life. And yet in the incarnation, there's the emergence of strong participation through the gift of the word and this strong participation reshapes the human. And you come to this, it's like through, through the incarnation and the life of the church and stuff. And so that I put her in conversation with John Cobb to be like, yeah. So just uncross your fingers and repeat everything you just said, you know, um, <laughs> and the, I don't put it that way in the book, but like, that's like that tension you point out is really important. And I'll just say that for liberal Protestants, that, yeah, I hope so. Like, 
a lot of us just like walk around with our masters of suspicion goggles on all the time. Uh, like we hesitate and worry that we're going to say more than we should. And then, you know, th- there's really good reasons that set it up, but it mm. does come off like a wet blanket for <laughs> radical acts of discipleship. Yeah. And I think if you think of like the four seasons of the year in the parts of the world that have four, cause there's not four in Scotland. Um, there's like nine months oh. of ugly and three months of pretty. Uh, Where I am on um, Noongar Butcher land, there's six seasons. So there you go. Okay. But you like, I think people have like different kind of spirituality. Some people have a more wintry one, summery one, spring one, mm. fall one. And like, mine's always been spring. Like, that's just my MO. <laughs> like, I, I, I'm like, okay. So God is fully invested in whatever just happened. And in the very next moment, there are possibilities for a more beautiful, just, and loving world. And that is where the lure of God's present. And maybe we suck and we say no in the ugliest way possible. And guess what that happens in that next moment? The lure comes and wherever just happened, it, God knows it completely, redeems it in divine life, and then says, here is the possible, this beautiful, true zesty adventurous good right and if we respond positively then that our fidelity actually empowers the possibilities for the next moment to be even more beautiful um Amen. which when is I the was, lord's uh, prayer like it, it's literally how it our is lord the teaches lord's us prayer. to pray it's called process theology i know that's what <laughs> but it's the, actually the the lures prayer yeah <laughs> well played dan i don't know if, how long were you waiting to say that uh, all day. Okay, well done. <laughs> when when I talked to uh, when I would teach confirmation, um, I would like use pizza slices, and then you know like like here's what's happened. It, there are three powers in any moment: the past, none of us can change it; it's settled. Um, then there's like the present, your own agency, what you can do, and what the other creatures uh, connected to you can do. And then there's the future, the gift of possibility, and what are you responsible for? What you say and do and how you engage the world. Um, what are you responsible to? All those you are connected to in the way you contribute to their life in this next moment. And what does God desire? That those possibilities available to you are evaluated. So the lure is how can the mind of Christ most materialize given the past which is inherited and the agents who are cooperating? And God gives the gift of possibility, evaluated the lure of God, the call of God, right, uh, to each moment. And uh, and you could say something like this: You could say, uh, every moment God gives God's self, and dreams that the world receives it fully. But until it's received fully, right, when sin, law, and death are conquered, and God gives God's self to the world, and the Son gives even Himself to God, so that what God is all in all, right? They, that vision of gifting is what not where everything's dissolved, but everything knows itself as it participates in God. Yeah, that wow. picture, when God gives God's self and the world says yes, and there's a full reciprocity and participation in the divine life. But until that happens, for that gift to be genuine love and not coerced, God gives it moment to moment. And sometimes that receiving makes the next moment ugly and God, it, it gives God's self again. And then other times saying yes to God creates new uh, trajectories of possibility 
Think Abraham and Sarah saying yes, entering a covenant. And it's in that covenant that you come to know that the source of all existence is the one good God. And the, in your relationship with that one good God blesses you and inspires you to then bless the world. And then you get in this dynamic. And it's in that whole history of God giving God's self to the world where it is, calling it to become what it can be, that even sets a past to inherit that yeah. Jesus can then say yes to the one he calls Abba. And it not just be a growth and movement in covenantal history, but it becomes the imaging of the invisible God, where the Hesed fidelity of God is mm -hmm. reciprocated in the canonic fidelity of Jesus. Then you have the fusion of the infinite and the finite, the material and the spiritual. You have the incarnation without divine invasion. That mm. is then the incarnation is the test of the testimony of the world's future in God, because Jesus reveals what not just is possible for him alone, but the future of the world, that God will invest God's self in each context until that context comes to know itself as love and valued by God so that you can trust it. And you might say things like, Abba is king. And Abba is judge. And what happens when Abba is king? Then you are all inheritors of the kingdom. What happens when Abba is judge? You're not up for trial to go to hell or something. You're being adopted into the divine life. Come when on. the image of God is Abba, then the kingdom of God is the very presence and it's the promise of the world's future. And that future is not secured because God's omnipotent and will eventually intervene to set things right against our will. It's the promise because God is the infinite God of love and continues to give God self moment to moment until the open, the relational fabric of the world uh, actually comes to participate in the love of God. Coercion is not an act of love. Persuasion invitation is necessary for the type of uh, eschatological orgasmic vision, I think, that, mm. uh, you, that you see in those big cosmic hymns, right? Mm. And so the, um, it's at, to me, in, and you see this in the book in the last two chapters, it's actually thinking through a God whose perfections defined by what Jesus said, did, and endured, um, that, that then when you understand the incarnation, you are understanding a model of God in the world relating such that eventually Christ is what? The first fruits or Christ yeah. is what? The inbreaking of new creation or this, the, anyway, you see how like that, the, the understanding the incarnation in a cosmic uh, kind of process way, it, then because the incarnation is genuinely, re you're affirming it deeply, then it actually becomes a model of what the eschaton looks like. And mm. that move is Nazianzus, right? Like, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, yeah. That's why I was saying, like, I don't, it's not that hard if you are a Cappadocian yeah. <laughs> to go process. If you are um, Augustine, it's a little more difficult, but, um, you know. Well, our, our dear just, brother, he, he didn't quite get uh, Platonic thought. Maybe he, he's not going to get process either. <laughs> 
as brilliant and a genius that that he is um uh wow trip like uh, there's so much more i want to um explore here i'm also aware of of the time and um uh, maybe i'll invite people um uh to to start putting their questions in, in the chat but uh, the the implications for um uh, questions of God's suffering like I guess in response to um I'm trying to think of what, what was the wording that Maltman used um uh to kind of get God off the hook with the Holocaust um you, you had him on your show years ago uh, mm -hmm. like which was uh, um a couple of times like uh, amazing um uh and I'm trying to think of the particular um divine self-limitation like the um mm -hmm. that that god holds back and you, you can see what he's seeking to walk towards in that is kind of going god is not culpable for our sin but um it's it's also horrific that um uh if god has the power to do something but yeah you're taking incarnation so seriously that our understanding of power has to be transfigured from what we see in the ministry of the galilean and so yeah. um, uh, it, it's not that kind of power that God is holding back. But in each moment, in every moment, there is an apocalypse of that which we've encountered in the Nazarene that mm -hmm. wishes to break forth. Um, if uh, persons, principalities, powers, um, uh, systems, corporations, nation states, if they could actually step back and to use like Polkinghorne's like terms, there is a, a cloudy space. There is that mm -hmm. um, the, the coin is still spinning and it hasn't decided which way it's going mm -hmm. to fall and our prayers um uh, our like what we do with our, our psyche our body like um uh, our what we have um uh the, the node that we are in this system um uh, that is the dance of creation it matters to history um not because there isn't an eschaton but it's it's actually it's happening now mm -hmm. yeah. am i am i following am i yeah no no that that's yeah that's really good because the the difficulty let's say with open and relational thinkers that aren't fully processed is they do something like self-limitation but they say self which would be like this. greg boyd's or um uh, thomas yeah. ward uh no, no tom, tom ward, ward he'll he basically will agree with me but uh like greg boyd's a good example but moltmann's good like so he goes god um is eternal then god creates a space within god's self uh, to create. And then because God does knows that relationships require freedom and freedom's necessary for love, then God limits God's self in relationship to creation on behalf of God's mission of loving redemption. Um, and so uh, there he, uh, oh, and someone just mentioned in the chat, like he picks up some of the a kind of Jewish Kabbalah imagery, the Zen Zoom and, and things. So the, I, I joke about it. It's like God ties a hand behind God's back um, because God is potentially omnipotent. And, uh, and, and Moltmann will, will say something like, you know, if we were going to have a nuclear Holocaust, then God would intervene or something like that, you know, and make sure the world come to right. And I'm just like, uh, and he said there? that, like, that's what I said. I, I'm for, like, how, what's the death rate got to be yeah. for you to go like, ah! and yeah. so the, the uh, book. I mean, not merely like um, Hiroshima, Hiroshima um, um, Nagasaki, Nagasaki. Um, yeah. but in terms of like here in Australia, we um, in the 1960s, 
um, had uh, Aboriginal people experience um, British testing nuclear weapons um, uh, in South Australia. Um, mm. Like this, like these aren't hypothetical situations. We're literally living through an ecological crisis. Like, and our, yeah. our theologies are often um, uh, promote either um, a passivity or um, apathy or complete panic instead of what it is mm -hmm. to share in um, the, the um, what um, you describe as like the fidelity of, of Jesus, which I think is beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. It, and so the image self-investment in the book, Divine Self-Investment, is a critique, my critique running through it of other open and relational thinkers that feel like you still need to preserve the image of divine perfection. So you limit God's self. Hmm. Um, and some of them will even go like, but God never actually intervenes because that's required for love or something like that. And I go, well, what if our image of God was defined by what Jesus said, did, and endured? Then you would never say God kept something back. God gave it all. And you see that, right, through, uh, through the life of Jesus. And so mm -hmm. I would say that God is fully invested. Both hands are in. It's just mm -hmm. none of them have a sword. That's just yeah. not Come how on. God rolls. They're cruciform. Yeah. And so then to me, the question of how then, if this picture of the Galilean is the best way of understanding God, then how would you think philosophically? So I modify process for that. But then I say, how would you understand the incarnation? Well, it shouldn't be a divine invasion. It should be something that comes out of the fruit of God's self-investment in the world. And I pick up on this language from the Didache, the early church discipleship mm. manual, where he says, Jesus is the fruit of the vine of David. Yeah. And so then I like to think of it like this, like if you, you're like a master weaver, like God is like weaving all of our tattered ends and threads together to the most beautiful thing. And it's only because God gave God's self every moment through the history of Israel that you end up with a, a kind of a sacred canopy, a mythopoetic structure that then this child is conceived full of the spirit. And his mommy says, I think I got a song to sing and it's called mm. the Magnificat. Right. Mm -hmm. And then when he's born, he's handed on the tradition, and then he picks the scroll up for the first time, and he says, ah, cut the violence, include the Gentiles, right? Like, and you see, the, <laughs> it's the fruit of the vine of David, that this whole history was creating the space, the text, the stories, the rituals, the vision that he then inherits from his mom, and he embodies. And it, so Jesus' uh, fidelity to God corresponds to God's fidelity to us. And I think that the incarnation is an emergent breakthrough of a new spiritual uh, possibility that becomes available to the life of the church and all creation. But it comes not because God intervenes, but because God's been invested in the process the whole time. And uh, <clears throat> Jesus then is the prolepsis of the eschaton. Um, I mean, this is like mm. in Greek theater, when the chorus the comes out and tells you the end of the play. That's so that you watching can see the threads of meaning in the story. So the resurrection of Jesus comes out in the middle of history and goes, right. let me tell you about the threads of meaning. And it's in that space that then when you uh, sacrifice for the well-being of others, or you invest in lifting up the underside or all those types of discipleship things, like you don't have to, you don't do it because like, I know the complete end of the story of blah, 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 blah. It's because I'm going to cling to the threads of meaning that have been revealed by what mm. Jesus said, did, and endured. 
And I know as a pro, uh, in a process person, God receives the world each moment. Every time we cooperate with God, we contribute objectively to the life of God. God knows all things internally in the life of God. And so like that is the beginning of redemption is that God receives us, our brokenness and our beauty each moment into the life of God. Some things are judged. And then what happens in the next moment? God calls us to life out of it. And other things are celebrated and the new possibilities come in to being. But every moment in that sense is eschatological because yeah. the end is being given every moment. And then on what measure can we receive? And then in what communities can we receive? I think we've all been in places where you're in a community and something so beautiful happens. The only appropriate word was silence, God, new creation, or wow. Mm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Come on. And it, we, you, that's not because those are exceptions to the fabric of existence. That's the thread that we're seizing out of faith in the crucified one. We seized yeah. it and go, the most true thing that's been revealed about this world is when enemies reconcile and mm. then turn to their tribe and ask them to do the same. Yeah, or, I mean, you could give you know, those type of examples. So to, to me, a process like uh, vision is one that can deeply animate the life of faith uh, because every moment is something that God receives into God's self. And every moment God is giving God's self and holding nothing back. So what, what greater excitement is there than to know that God knows you completely, loves you completely, and is invested in you participating in the salvation of the world? Like that, that's pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. I, I guess it, I, I uh, sometimes doom scroll on Facebook. Most of the things I see are not that exciting. Mm. And, then, and I think that a lot of Christians' inability to talk about God is how we end up sounding like really boring people or like, you know, people that just shame people on behalf of their ethics. <laughs> Both of those suck. Uh, on the right and the left. Yeah, that's right. But I don't, I don't keep up with the right ones. Mm -hmm. I, I just pray for them. But the left, oh, we're the worst. We can't have mm. fun. We, have, we mm. don't know how to have fun. Never laugh at ourselves. The only half the things we say on the internet, we won't do anything or sacrifice our own privilege or anything for. We just need to signal to everyone that we're that enlightened. And then when mm. we're honest about who we are, we don't know we're that lovable because if we actually told the truth about who we are, we're judging ourselves publicly. But so are everyone else that's signaling yeah. how enlightened they are. And all that does nothing for you contributing in the next moment to what God is giving. It is That's not an act where you say yes to God going, I would like to give myself to you completely so that we can all participate in the infinite depths of divine love. And then you're like, yeah, but I, have you heard about the straws that are bothering these turtles and you know, whatever the thing is like you latch onto, you're going to start shaming someone else. And none of that requires you transforming your materiality, just like tweeting your signals at people. And that's mm -hmm. depressing. And uh, you, you do all that. You have the ability to lambast everyone about ethics, the way they're connected in all sorts of institutions and situations. And you probably haven't met your neighbor who didn't vote the same as you. Like, yeah. can we read, like at what point, like, um, anyway, I don't want to have an excursus. I'm going to offend everyone that thought they liked me already. They're like, look at him. Making, but uh, it, we, we not only like you, um, 
we love you. And that's why we'd like to give, like, I'm being selfish in this podcast. Um, there are people here who are staying up all hours. Um, so we will, like, um, transition into um, uh, some time Q&A and we'll, we'll share you some. But before you do, um, you, 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 were, you were there. Like, the, the organ was about to come in. Um, what is the altar call that you're offering? Like, I, I want to give you permission to, to go, um, what is the altar call for those, um, and so many people who engage in the inverse space, um, like, have uh, 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 fallen in love with the love that they've received in the life of the Nazarene. Mm-hmm. And um, they long for that, for all things, yet don't know how to put all the things that they've inherited from maybe sometimes the places that introduce them to Jesus. Um, what's your altar call before we um, uh, r- wrap up this part? Okay. All right. So I thought we were going to talk about atonement and I had, I had five. Mate, we can still, we can still go there. Like I'm no, not no, I was anywhere. going to use my, I'm just going to give you the points. I'm not going to say anything about them, Ooh. but it's my altar call. Like, this is the vision of salvation if you go process, like how it differentiates from other uh, visions. And mm. it, not you know, obviously not all of them, but these are things that are really important if you go process. One, the distinction between justification and sanctification where lots of shitty discipleship jumps in is cut out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Number two, there's not a contradiction between the character of God and Jesus Christ, even on the cross. Yes, good trip. Uh, Number three, salvation is expanded to include all of creation because all creation is being given the gift of the lure. Um, And a lot of Christian theologies have to come up with ways of being ecological and stuff. Um, (laughs) Yeah, Not a problem for panpsychists. Four, salvation is for the sinner and the sinned against, the victim and the violator. And they cannot get salvation without each other. And God doesn't get it without the world. Um, And last, salvation, that is process and relational, includes the whole web of relations. So social, structural, and ecological uh, reflection is necessary for faithful discipleship. Uh, Those those five things, I think, are uh, at least unique emphasis for open relational process visions. Um, and I think it, when it goes then to the cross, the cross um, is it, the, it means that the cross is in the very heart of God, that on the cross, mm-hmm. we see God identifying with those who bear crosses in our present human and non-human. And we see a call to solidarity. And then for those of us of, priv- of privilege, the cross becomes a transferable nightmare where like scrooge right we have uh to to deal with our actual lives like the scrooge gets haunted by the past and the three powers in process gets haunted by the past and sees the death he's dealt he's revealed christmas present and the ugliness that he's in the present contributing to and then the 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 haunting of the future yeah of what happens if he lives this sick thin vile selfish life he falls in his grave and Scrooge comes up having been scared to life, not to death. And that I think is how the cross can function in a relational uh, process, relational framework 
because it becomes the very place we recognize um, that salvation is not something just proclaimed, it's something you participate in, and that mm -hmm. the eschaton is not something we wait for, but we give ourselves to. Um, and so the cross then is a place God identifies with us, uh, proclaims solidarity, and then becomes a nightmare um, in our privilege. And each moment uh, in a process world, it, you get the gift of Scrooge, of coming up mm -hmm. out of the grave and meeting the new day with, on a new trajectory. But that in that mundaneness of the day-to-day -day is the very place the presence of new creation dwells, um, faithfully, moment to moment. And so it, it's not like uh, you don't have anything to do. It's not like you're on the sidelines. It's not like you're just waiting. Um, the, the lure of God uh, is there, yeah. uh, seeking us out. So... Trip, um, that's, that's not so much an altar call as it is a teaser for next time on Trip Hanging Out with Inverse. Would, would oh, you well, be willing to come back and explore with us at some later stage? Like, you know, as long as Drew comes next time, you know, just... Well, uh, for those who um, are listening to this um, by the Patreon where they get the oh, Q&A, yeah. um, Doc Drew is back in the building. So um, oh, we okay. will, um, we'll, we'll tr transition to Q&A now. Dan, thanks so much. This is great. And Dan, we want to hear a lot more of you in the Q&A time. I have so many questions, Trip. This is, I find, really, really exciting. Um, but I will share this space. Would you be willing um, to pray for our dear listener? Uh, for, yeah. Um, we're, we're just so aware that um, for so few people, this is abstract. This is about um, a deep longing for the, the beauty and the healing justice that we intuit and we see in the life of Jesus that we long to see throughout all things. Um, would you knit our sharing together? Um, yeah. By bringing it to prayer. Thanks, mate. All right. Let's pray. God, you made us and know us and love us completely. May we trust in that good news. May it reside within our bones. May it fill our lungs and animate our feet and hands so that it does not become something we close off to others, but empowers our relations with others. Give us eyes to see the networks of relations that are mediated by structures and systems and institutions and markets. May we find the places where we need to be convicted. May we find the communities where we are energized and empowered to make a dif difference. And can we find the patience to struggle with our complicity and brokenness before a God that demands justice, but who is love? Mm -hmm. Give us eyes to see ourselves as your beloved, the parts of us we love and the parts we don't. And give us eyes to see our neighbors and our enemies as your beloved, the parts we cherish and the parts we resent. And may the spirit of Jesus dwell among us, dwell within us, and call us forward into the becoming of your kingdom. Amen. 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 Thanks, mate. The Inverse Podcast is proudly supported by you, the listener. And if you want to join the revolutionaries who are helping us have conversations about how this ancient text can still turn the world upside down, why don't you head over to patreon.com slash inverse.